Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into it today, a quick reminder to rate and review the show five stars if you are listening to this right now. And follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine and my YouTube channel, which you can find by searching my name Felix Levine on YouTube for all video versions of every single podcast and highlights are available on my channel. So go check that out. And my guest today, he is an actor. I had his father on as my first ever episode. He is like family. Please welcome Jonathan Tucker. Jonathan Tucker, uh, man, it's good. It's honestly good to see you on a personal level. Yeah, great man. to have you on my show. I think the last time I saw you, I was no older than probably about ten years old. Yeah, well, we both have gotten a lot better looking. Probably, I think so. you more so, and know. a little more jacked. I think last time I saw you, you were quite. You're looking like me. How dare you? You look phenomenal. Well, so I hope I looked as good as you then. <laughs> and you've interviewed my father, so uh, your your lovely um, the professor himself, the prof the the expert himself, Correct. the Claude Monet expert. Yes, the uh, one of the loveliest individuals that I've ever met personally. Now I know that you like to open your show and you like to ask your guests, like, is there something wow. that the world doesn't know about you? But let me ask you a question: Is there? Do you know? Do you know Monet's first name? Claude. Obviously, I'm French. Incorrect. What is it? Oscar. Fuck. So, got you on one. No, we're definitely <laughs> keeping that. I'm going to remind you over I, and over throughout the episode just well, so you can't cut it. Why didn't your dad tell me that when I sat down with him? Well, that's you probably were asking something about him, right? But, he, you know, he would be so a, is a Oscar twist Claude Monet? Oscar Claude Monet. What else can we learn about Claude Monet real quick? Uh, you know, he had a few wives. I think he, he had a, more than a few. He was... Um, he was very wealthy early on. People think he wasn't. You know, that yeah. he was this, like, starving artist. That's not true. They're not haystacks. They're grain stacks. Um, <laughs> you know, he was uh, you know, he was a proud Frenchman. Got that train track going right right, right by the property there. Did Deeply you, influenced by World War One. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to go out there? Oh, yeah, of course. My, my life is, is intricately tied to Claude Monet. that man. Yeah. Did you were you at a Gagosian when your dad curated that? I was, yeah, I was there. It was great. I wonder if I saw you there. And then for the big dinner afterwards at the former Four Seasons restaurant. Oh well, see, no, I see. I would remember that. Yeah, that was. We, we, I don't great. think we got the invite to that one. It was pretty spectacular. It was a very gratifying. You know, nothing. I know you know this about your father as an artist. There's very few things as gratifying as as getting to see your parents, um, you know, be recognized and. Mm -hmm. Um, be recognized for the work that they've been doing, which in many ways feels like up until certain points, it's kind of like behind closed doors until it gets some sort of validation, which is totally silly mm -hmm. because that validation really isn't worth anything, but um, it does feel nice. And your dad is, uh, he's just, he's a special individual. He's 6'5". With the heart of six a, five two thirty short choppy <laughs> steps, little all American Williams College class in 1972. And he's, he's a real big teddy bear. The, yeah, the no, biggest. He's, he's a he's a sensitive guy. I mean, he's an art historian. So you know, he uh, 
He's uh, he's a very special person. My mom, you know, five feet tall, Jewish, 110 pounds. We love we love Maggie Talks just as much as uh, yeah. anybody so else. They're they're a great great pair, and and um, you know, now that I've got these two kids, you know, I really feel like you see your ancestors um, and the blood of 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 all of these different people flowing through through them and in them. You know, from my wife's side, which is diverse and dynamic to um to my own parents and grandparents and, and going back I mean it's kind of one of these wonderful things and scary things and um power empowering things to think that all of your history is now flowing literally in the blood of your children how has it been to parent your your kids um you know having having been raised by two lovely parents how do you think that's influenced your parenting of oh, your children. I mean, you know, the trauma, you know, really trying to be, create a trauma-free sort of environment for them. You know, there's, I mean, look, you you know this, um, you, uh, and I know this as an actor in particular, or particularly well. It's like our our childhood is so influential on who we are as adults. Um, it's amazing, you know, because it's such a brief time in. Um, in terms of uh, the percentage of our life, but it has such an outsized impact. And as an actor, you're really looking to find that in the characters that you're building. Um, and we've got these, ma- I mean, I, like, I, I have this like, this one, I, I have all these memories from childhood that are so small, but you realize like if they were, if they were more profound uh, or, or the experience that I felt in these memories was more prolonged or had some sort of nefarious um, um, uh, uh, backing to it, I would, it would have had a, a, a really horrible, um, painful experience, you know, impact on my life. So for instance, like I remember swimming with my father in a lake in upstate New York and like he let me go by accident to like grab a, um, a to you know get like nibbled on by a fish or something. I don't know. Let me go and like there I'm falling through this water and I don't even really even know if it's a real. It could be like a dream, right? But it uh, it speaks so much to um, the what our childhood means to us, and you know parents getting divorced, um, you know alcoholism in a family. Uh, not being able to rely on a parent. They say they're going to show up and they don't show up. Abandonment, um, you know, all those sorts of things are like, you know, now even like your parents on a cell phone or something if you're a little kid, like all the time and not focused on you. Um, those things really, really impact you. And um, it's important to me and my wife to try to create uh, an environment where they are – they're challenged so that they have grit and resilience and they'll be determined individuals um but that they also know that we're here to support them and love them when they make um you know the right decisions and when they make the wrong decisions we're 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 still going to be there um to help them process that but i was given you know the the great privilege of my life was were two great parents and and an education do you feel like you've been uh perhaps more hyper aware to creating a a stress-free uh, or trauma-free environment for your children? For sure. I mean, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I, I got into transcendental meditation, which really helped me better understand that. Um, and, you know, I've been very interested in, in creating characters looking at, um, you know, trauma, as I said. And there's, there's 
the 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 idea that there is um, inherited drama is not always in is not in conflict in in my mind, and I don't think factually the way I see the world is not in conflict with um, self determination and the ability to break through those sorts of shackles. Um, you know, the sort of stuff about like it didn't start with me, you know, that there is even trauma that goes back further than the generations that we know. Um, but at the same point, you know, I really believe like that you make your own luck and that um, and that uh, you don't you are not going to be held back by the circumstances in which you find yourself that you can you can progress and move forward. What does meditation look like for you? I mean, TM is, you know, twice a day, 20 minutes where you just say the same word. Banana, 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 banana. For 20 minutes, twice a day? Yeah. And where does that bring you mentally? Uh, you know, the idea is, is, you know, the easy way to look at it is just it's like, you know, we're operating on the surface of an ocean and you can take 20 minutes twice a day to use that mantra to as a tool or a mechanism to slowly kind of go deeper into the ocean and and during that period, you know, you'll come up again because I thought will come up and you recognize that's okay. And you could use the mantra again to kind of go lower and lower, deeper into the ocean. And, um, you know, you can kind of hang out as low as you as, as possible in that subconscious. Do you do it at the same times every day? I think most people I think who practice end up finding the times that, that are optimal. Um, but uh, and you got to be flexible when you can't kill yourself if you can't get it in. But um, And it's been challenging with kids. Um, but, you know, I think it's a good reminder that like a slingshot in many respects, uh, if you take the time to do it, even though you feel like you've got so much going on, it ultimately will accelerate all the other tasks that you have that day or week or month. How else do you keep your mental state um, level? Um, you know, I try to be self-disciplined with diet and get some exercise. Um, and, um, you know, I'm very good at compartmentalizing, I guess. But, uh, you know, I think mental conditioning is kind of like one of the most important things that we can do and we don't talk about it enough. We do in, in all these other performance on demand, um, activities, sports, um, or combat uh, or combat sports, you know, which is one of the reasons why I, I do love MMA so much. But they all kind of are saying the same thing. And high-end business practices, um, the idea that uh, you are mentally prepared and you have a set of tools to execute, um, particularly when it has to happen now, is, um, you know, it's the same thing shooting a, a basketball in the NBA as it is um, sinking a putt in the PGA as it is being on target with uh, uh, special forces um, in combat as it is, um, you know, negotiating a contract. There's one thing that I, I really enjoyed. I listened. I don't know what show you said this on, but it was something about, um, and forgive me if I butcher the exact quote, something about uh, expanding your strike zone um, mm -hmm. consistently, I guess, throughout your life, perhaps on a personal level and also on a professional level. I'm curious to you what um, that looks like, perhaps on an everyday level. What expanding that strike zone could look like, and uh, I, you know, how you go about doing so. Um, 
Yeah, so the idea that, you know, when you're looking at a pitcher throwing a ball to a batter, the umpire is standing behind the catcher and he's looking and there is there is essentially, um, you can't see it, except if you're watching on TV, they'll throw something up where it's a box, right? And if the ball um, is in the box or touches the line, um, it's a strike. And if it goes outside, it's a ball. Um, and I think like the best pitchers are unafraid of throwing balls um, because they know that their best the best pitchers um, know that if you can, the more dynamic of a pitch, the more risk you're taking, and there's a potential that it's not a strike. Um, I think that there are certain very good pitchers who can throw strikes all day long right down the center of the box, and they don't really explore the corners or the edges. Um, and they're great, and they'll do. Re- uh, they're good, and they'll do really well professionally for a long time. But they're not gonna like. They're not like Hall of Famers, really. Um, and I think there's a lot of actors who are like that, who are really good, and but they kind of play the same thing over and over and over again. And it's hard to do that. I mean, it's hard to be a, a pitcher in uh, the major leagues and throw strikes. Um, it's hard to be in front of the camera and be yourself. You're like, ah, he's always playing himself. Well, that's really hard. It's really hard. If it, if it was easy, every producer's kid would be, you know, an actor. Um, but then you start seeing people throw, you know, they're throwing strikes, throwing strikes, and then they start, like, exploring and expanding that strike box. I mean, I think really good examples of that have been, like, Matt McConaughey um, or Ben Affleck, even, who I think is a really good actor. Um, and then there's people who have just been kind of hitting corners from their jump, you know, like a Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, but you look at someone like Bob Odenkirk, who's got such an interesting career. Nobody ever would have thought this guy would be the number one of the top actors in television, cable television ever. No agent thought that. No lawyer thought that. No publicist thought that. I mean, imagine this guy is cranking away and he gets this call to go be on, you know, Breaking Bad. And he's like, oh, my God, they're going to offer it to me? This is so crazy. And by the way, this is like not even 10 years ago. And Bob's not 25, you know, he's not 35. And he goes and he is thrilled to shoot at night in Albuquerque, New Mexico, because he's got two young kids and it's like a vacation to not be taking care of them. And he parlays that because the work is so good and he's so talented into his own spinoff, which is like literally one of the biggest shows on television. All these awards, all these accolades, and then he's like, you know, how about I go and like meaningfully spend years diving into lifting weights and and combat training and martial arts. And now his movie Nobody is a huge hit and he's like an action star, like a Jason Statham action star. Um, that's somebody who's expanding their, you know, the box. Um, and I think we see that in lots of different places and lots of different spaces. Um, but it, it takes a lot of courage because everybody's telling you, like, don't do that. You know, if you're, if you're an action star, they don't want you to do a drama. They don't want you to do a comedy. Um, even, even, uh, yesterday there was this article in the New York Times about all of this, um, all of these TV shows that are now streaming, uh, from the nineties like Dawson's Creek and Felicity. And they had only tied up the music rights for a certain amount of time. So now the shows that are streaming don't have the music that we all associate with those with those shows. So for instance, Dawson's Creek, it's a little before your time, but they had this song like, I can't, it's like, I don't want to wait for my time. There I can't is. sing, right? But uh, I can't sing. Like literally, I, I'm I've sure. I've heard you say that. 
that wasn't no it's terrible. it could have been but, worse. But it's a famous song goes okay. with the show right and now if you turn on you you don't get that mm. that song so um but i'm thinking about it i'm like you know guaranteed like those are the best lawyers in the business the like most important people were putting together those deals and they just didn't really see around the corner. And sometimes people do see around the corner. A lot of times they do. And then they're made to feel like their opinion or their, their point isn't valid. Uh, and, but, the, but we need to ask more frequently, like, why not? Mm-hmm. I mean, residuals for, for actors, nobody got residuals before a certain point. And somebody was like, you know, I want to be a part of that. And I'm sure everyone's like, don't, no, we don't do that. It's not how we do it. Um, it's like, well, why not? Um, and there is something really important about constantly asking those questions. Why can't I throw the ball over here? Um, why can't I do the scene sitting down? Um, why can't he have his hair colored like that? Um, because real life is so dynamic and people tend to shrink from that when they're making choices as an actor or as a writer or director. Um, and frankly, um, in lots of parts of our lives, we don't appreciate the dynamism that is right there in front of us. How do you? So you're you're 38 now. Yeah. You got a birthday coming up soon, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I heard you say you you want to die on set, um, which hopefully is in a very very long time. But how do you gauge? Um, you know, expanding that strike zone and hitting those edges for from today where you're 38 to you know hopefully a long yeah you keep living you know you just have to keep living a very full life you know with your eyes and your heart heart open um i mean look i feel like i hope i die in some you know name for like world peace like on some march and I, someone you know some soldier shoots me and it it makes you know it helps bring peace to some country or to some group of people um i mean to say that i don't plan on retiring which yes. i mean i, I, I want to die inside um, but I think, you know, one of the privileges of being an actor is that you get to live this, it, it invites you to live a very satisfying, fulfilling life. And it demands that if you're trying to expand that strike box, it demands that if you want to be able to create dynamic, um, authentic characters. And one of the things that I hope people learn from, um, an actor's life is that they can have that same life too, regardless of what their profession is. Are you able to turn off the... Jonathan Tucker actor um, when you get home and you're Jonathan Tucker husband and father? Uh, well, not actor, but maybe character. Character. Yeah. Are you able to kind of turn it off if you've been, a, you know, spending a day at work? Um, yeah. I mean, look, these are, you know, you try, you know, you do your, you do your best and um, I'm certainly not going to come home from Westworld and use the N word around the house. Right. Um, but if you're, you know, you're, you're in a, extraordinarily you know if you're in a hopped up scene and it's a night shoot and you come home and it's six in the morning it's you know it's, it's a little hard to get right to bed and these characters become you and they become a part of the the fabric of your you know the fibers of your body um, but you also have to learn how to say goodbye to them as well how has being a father uh changed or not changed you as an actor um i mean it, it, you know having children changes uh, everything in your life um, or, or it, and or it reaffirms, confirms, underscores, highlights um, certain things that you already knew are true, or that you were already um, trying to attract, or to can you know to, to go after, to seek. Um, but getting to see the, you know, getting to see young, like that beginner's mind, those beginner eyes, over and over again, um, 
the way they can toggle through emotions. It's uh, there, there. There's very little. Just like animals, you know, there's very little. Um, there's no embarrassment or impediment between what they're feeling, what they want, and and um, what they want to do, what they're gonna do. So they want food. They want it now. You know, and um, and it, we 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 fill. And as adults, or as like more conscious beings, we we put all this dissonance between that creative source and instinct, and then the decisions or choices that we make, and that's not a good thing. On just on a personal level, do you remember the the point when you knew you were going to be a father that your life was going to just change forever? No, because like I think um, you know we really wanted children for a while, so um, I definitely wrapped my head around that. Um, and even when when you have them there in the hospital, you've done so much work to like prepare for that that moment, or you should have, um, because preparation is kind of the key to everything in life. And you you say that, and then you realize like it's even the same thing with we have bottles in the morning, and the bottle should be clean and dry and like st- on the kitchen counter that night, so that when you wake up in the morning, you're not falling around for it, and the milk is pre poured, and you know the more preparation you do, your li- the easier your life is. Um, it really is. And, uh, but for, I think for men, it's like they don't get as attached to the kids until a little bit later. Is that what you felt? At least for me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And other people have talked to me. Like this idea that I think women have been living with this child, obviously for right. nine plus months at that point. I feel like men are like, oh, yeah. And by the way, I loved it. It, it wasn't, it was all, right. it was amazing, but it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like the ground went under, it was like, I am in another world. <laughs> like this is great. I've got these two beautiful, healthy children. I'm in love. I love them. It's uh, but this idea that it's like it's a love you've never felt before. No, now it is. Right. Well, now what? It is. How, like at what point? Well, you know when they can like look at you. You know you just spend time Interesting. with them. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's a combination of the amount of time or the fact that they can actually hold eye contact or they when they touch grab your finger or when they want to hug you or um, when they know who you are. I mean, I've consistently found that's the case for a lot of my male friends and consistently found that women, the moment that the child is out, that's okay, there's a connection. Have you had these conversations with your dad? Um, I mean, many conversations about, you know, I look at all the things I, I think I do well. I, I, you know, I think I've learned from my father. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I'll, I'll call him randomly and be like, you know, I was showering with my son today with Hayes. I was like, you know, in his head, it's like right there at, at my at my butt, you know, and we're just showering together. We're just having like, you know, two like, two little, you know, like a bear and a bear cup, just showering away. And I was like, you know, I remember showering with you, Papa. I remember my, my head was right there on the, you know, right there, the top of your ass. And we have a, you know, a good laugh about it. Um, you know, being, you know, I remember being my father's shoulders and I now I've got my kid on my shoulders. I mean, that, that circle is real and it's beautiful and, um, you know, makes uh, makes it all the more apparent how brief our time is on Earth. Do you see uh, your dad's parenting in in your parenting? Um, yeah, very much so. How yeah. so? You know, um, the you know, I I, I have a profound um, uh, a, a depth of love for my son and and daughter, and I'm totally comfortable expressing it and um it feels uh un- like an unlimited amount uh that i have to give them uh and you know my father's just 
is a, he's also a physical guy. So, you know, he's not afraid to hug and kiss. And I feel that way with my kids. Now, what is it like, um, you know, you grew up in Charlestown, Mass. Um, is there, I don't want to say fear, but, uh, you know, your kids will be growing up in L.A. Um, are there differences that you hope to, uh, I guess, reconcile from your childhood to theirs and how they're going to be? You know, growing up as opposed to how you did? Yeah. I mean, look, I grew up like in a working class Irish, you know, Catholic community uh, where my house was a rooming house for till I was like 12. Um, I saw my father do a lot of the work on our house. Um, and, you know, I, I, and, and we, I don't live in a working class community anymore. Um, I think L.A. is in, in you know, it is a it, – it really is in many ways a working class town. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but, um, you know, we have a, a, an economically diverse group of friends and people that we interact with. Um, but that disappoints me in some, not disappoints me. I, I, I hope that the values that I learned from growing up in a, a blue collar community will, um, be a part of their life. And I, I do my very best to try to, make sure they recognize, um, you know, both the privileges that they are afforded and also, um, you know, how to, how to, um, how to see the world through the eyes of people who actually work, you know? Mm. Have you, I mean, you know, LA gets the rep of being, uh, a little artificial or fake, especially in the, in the yeah, Hollywood business. Yeah, but it's business. not. I mean, it, no, I mean, you, you know, I don't think that. You is, don't feel that way? No. No, I think like the, I think the world is artificial and fake in lots of places. But I, I mean, LA is one of the most dynamic, cultural, the interesting um, cities in the world um, because of the mixture of, of economies and economics and colors and languages and food. I mean, it is. This is a very, very interesting city, uh, but you do have to go out and see it. I mean, you got to you got to dive out there. You got to dive in it. It's not going to be in, as as in your face as it's going to be in a place like New York. How do you think growing up in Charlestown kind of molded you into the maybe the the person you are and the actor you are? Um, well, you know, I went to school out in the suburbs, so I kind of got to s scale both worlds. Um, and, you know, I, I got to see real characters and real people. And, um, I think when you grow up watching people really have to, you know, grind it out, you don't think that there's other businesses that are going to be any easier. And this business has, um, it's not easy. Um, and it is a grind and you just have to keep going. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a, a an almost a, Almost, it, it's hard not to be resilient when you're from a community like that. Um, they just you're you're beaten up so much uh, that and you and you're still getting up, still going forward. So uh, I feel like that's kind of crit critical in the entertainment business because there's nobody there to support you. Now I know you were you were about what ten years old when you first uh, took part in some kind of, I think it was ten or either ten or twelve, I believe, um, when you took part in your first kind of. Yep, yeah, I did a Theater. national commercial for um, for fruit roll-ups shooting out of Boston. Wow. And uh, was it at that moment that you knew this was the life you wanted to live or earlier? Oh, yeah, I know that right off the jump. I was like, I walked down like, this is the this is the process that excites me. Uh, the crew, the camera, 
um, the whole thing. And I, you know, and I'm more excited about it now than I've ever been. Really? Why is that? You know, you just uh, the you you recognize how lucky you are to be doing it, and you you recognize that whether it's a half a million dollar production or a you know a hundred fifty million dollar um, film, that like you're dealing with all the same problems and same frustrations. So, if that's the case, then that's just what's part of the business and part of the process. So don't don't let it phase you and be excited about. Um, all the opportunities that you have to um, to be in what it takes to tell a story in with a camera. How important or how do you measure uh, success personally? Um, how do I measure success personally? You know, I, mean, I just, I got a health, I'm, I'm healthy and my family's healthy. Uh, my happiness is, you know, derives from in within. Um, and has no external connections. Um, on the superficial side, in some respects, like I don't have to worry about paying for my the roof over my head or even food in the fridge or water coming through pipes, um, you know, a hot shower. Uh, I, you know, I can fill up my gas tank every time I go to the gas station. Um, those are, you know, that's nice, but you can be in a jail cell in, in another country and uh, starving and still be happy. And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood, They specialize in every single diet under the sun and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP-friendly options. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles, so you will never have any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. They ship anywhere in the country for only $9.50 for shipping and handling, and most orders are delivered within 24 to 48 hours of leaving their facilities. Go to uswellnessmeats.com today and when you use promo code podcast, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you'll receive 15% off store-wide savings. Again, go to uswellnessmeats.com, use that promo code podcast, and you'll get 15% off of every single order. Go check it out today. Now let's get back into it. Where do you find happiness other than acting, spending time with your kids, working out? Are there any other like niche hobbies that you have? That well, I mean, I'm obsessed with you know Muay Thai. Uh, I, I I ruptured my Achilles tendon, uh, so that's taken me out of the really one out of the game six months ago. Um, so I'm uh, I'm on the mend for that. How's the recovery? It's very challenging. Yeah, but you know, I could have I could be adjusting to one leg. You know, I mean, imagine all these kids coming home from Afghanistan or Iraq. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, again, it's like, what are you going to complain? And if you come back with one leg, you know, you should be thinking, God, I'm lucky to have one. You have none of those. You have, I'm lucky I got arms. I'm lucky I have fingers. Um, and if you're not thinking that way, um, you know, you're, you, you, I don't want to say you're an asshole, but. Um, you're an asshole. You know, man, you got to go out and see the world. The idea right. that somehow, like. You know, even even in the current political climate, like there, it is it is a privilege to be an American, mm-hmm. let alone um, the color of your skin. I mean, it is like, my goodness, 
you start traveling around the world, it's like it is the world is so unfair. It is so, um, you know, just no. It's just challenging. But what we do to each other as human beings, what we do to animals in the world, like how we treat each other, it's just unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, I wake up every day and I'm literally grateful to be in the country. Like, I, I'm truly, I even think about you know we we don't even talk about free speech in this country, but. It is like we just take all these things in America for granted. Mm -hmm. The fact that we can, you know, we can go out and protest, and there's been some pushback from some parts of the political parties against protesting, which is crazy to me. But you know, the fact that you can go out there and like say that the president's horrible um, and tell him that if he gets you locked up in other countries, literally, you know, I mean, there's not even free speech in Canada. The only other country that's as close to free speech as us is Japan, and that's not full, unfettered free speech. I mean, we are literally, literally, literally one of the the only country in the world that has full, unfettered free speech. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's like the coolest thing in the whole world. I want to take you back to where you're talking about with Muay Thai. Uh, before Kingdom, had you done any MMA? Oh, no. I thought MMA was like, um, you know, white... White trash, um, uh, cockfighting for humans, blood sport. I thought it was a terrible, ter- terrible thing for the world. What point did you realize it wasn't? You know, when I started doing the show. And so take me a little bit through that process. Obviously, you've talked about um, on other shows the the body transformation that uh, that you went through, which was a uh, huge, um, I guess, to say the least. Uh, but... At what point did you realize that this is way more than white trash? Um, I mean, the first day I, I, I started, I started meeting people in the community uh, and went out to like my first MMA gym and started training with Joe Daddy Stevenson and Moore Archuleta and that whole team and meeting Greg Jackson. I mean, Greg Jackson by that point had just been on 60 Minutes. Um, I, you know, it's been pretty it was, a, it was a flip of a switch. It wasn't like a process. I was like, oh, this is, I was totally wrong here. And which facet of MMA did you begin with? Uh, we really just did a whole, I mean, that's, that's what's so dynamic about the sport is that so many people up until this point have been coming to this, coming to it with a, from a discipline, you know, they trained in jujitsu or they trained in Muay Thai or they're boxers and they started picking up all these other skill sets. But now people, young kids are training in MMA. So it's all yeah. around. They are training all around. And that's that's what makes the sport um, so exciting to be, to watch, to be a fan of, to be a part of, because um, it's, it's changing exponentially and the quality of the fighters are getting better and better and better. Is there a discipline that you enjoy the most? Yeah, Muay Thai. I'm all, I'm all about that Muay Thai life. And how, how many times a week are you doing that Muay Thai? I mean, I do not – I have not kicked a bag for well, six months. So it's bef- been before then. very, very tr- troubling. You know, one of the things about the injury that's somewhat revelatory is that they – you know, they ask you some real questions where it's not like aspirational. So they'll say like, what are the things that you want to do um, moving forward? Because it's going to – you know, the, the either getting surgery or not getting surgery is a question. So there's certain sports mm-hmm. that it doesn't really matter, and certain sports that it does, and um, some of the rehab. There's, they, but they ask real questions, and yeah, if you think you're, if you, if you are telling people that you like Muay Thai, well, but you don't really love it, or you're not really doing it, um, this is the, that's the time where you're 
you're, you know, when you can't walk and you know, one of your tendons is fully ruptured and uh, you're looking at a year rehab and you're talking to multiple surgeons all over the world, you got to be really upfront. And I was like, man, the one thing I can't envision in my life is not kicking a heavy bag, you know, not kicking Muay Thai pads. I want to, as a, one of the most important physical parts of my life, I love it. So I'm not great at it, but I love it. And, um, and so, uh, you know, if I, if I can, I mean, I, now it's, now I feel like my life, my schedule is changing so constantly with the kids. Um, there's so little time, um, you know, I'm squeezing this in just cause it's like a nap time and we don't have a weekend nanny. Um, we've got somebody wonderful who helps us during the week, but, um, you try to, uh, you know, things are, it's, and then, you know, they get like an attachment issue. So now I can't leave. It's like, all this. so I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping to get in a few days a week if I possibly can, can figure it out. How did you rupture your Achilles? Oh, just running. I was been running the whole day and just doing the exact wow. same thing over and just collapsed. It was wild. I thought like something fell from the ceiling and hit the back of my leg. So it's a petrifying injury because, uh, I wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. Wow just dropped. I'm like, now I'm concerned that my other, like, God, could I like be on a camping trip and yeah. like my Achilles goes out? I mean, you can't walk. I mean, you're talking, I'm talking six months of like, before you can even lift off onto a heel. It's crazy. This was right during COVID too. This is the first day of shooting on a TV show. So I shut down production for a month. It was terrible. Wow. And we're lucky we only shut down for a month. It could, you know, could have been, could have been, Two months, two and a half months. Now, are there any fighters that you've trained with that, I mean, you've trained with a bunch, um, that have maybe taught you the most about MMA uh, or that you've picked their brain at the most? I mean, the thing about almost all these fighters is they're all saying the, the same thing, which is it's it's a at a certain at a certain point, it's just a big mental game. Mm, really? And what, like, what are some of the conversations that you've had with them, uh, particularly about the mental aspect? Um, you, you know, when you, when you've done the work, it's about just showing up for that fight week. You've been in the camp and you've learned everything you're going to learn. You're going to pick up anything new. So now it's time to breathe and relax and have some fun and be open to the environment, be open to the world, see everything, smell everything, um, feel everything, um, release, be, uh, be loose, <clears throat> you know, let, let it all come and find itself organically. Did you ever? Um, that's why you see Conor McGregor out there doing the the Billy know, strut. Yeah, I mean that's just him being loose, you know. And it's 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 very intimidating to see somebody in a very stressful situation be totally relaxed. If you're not relaxed, you know. I mean that's what's got to freak out the Taliban and ISIS is when they see our. Special forces showing up and they're loose, you know, they're loose. Their hands aren't even on the trigger before they breach a door. I mean, they're that loose. Because there's all these philosophies, philosophical, nope. Physiological? Yes. Responses that are to change with stress. You know, when you're tight, you literally, you have, you know, you get tunnel vision and your response time slows and you can't smell as well. I mean, there are all these things you want to be, you want to be totally relaxed and totally open to what the, what's happening in the world. How do you loosen up before you go on, on set? You do the work. If you've done the work, you do, you've done the work, you know. What's your... If you've prepared for something, 
then you know you just have to rel- then 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 you're relaxed. It's when you haven't prepared that you get scared, and that's where you see people's egos come out because they're trying to cover up the fact that they haven't prepared. So they start calling out all these issues and start creating drama and fires when there's no when the, when they're not really there, simply to cover up the fact that they're they're either not talented or they haven't done the work. How do you tailor the the preparation? Uh, you know, for each of your different characters over time. Um, I mean, I, I, I think if you're going to look at all of these other successful performers who perform on demand in stressful situations, they have something that they can kind of, re- you know, they're able to repeat um, and have replicable processes. So um, I think you have to have that no matter what you're doing, because if you don't uh, have that, then um, you're just kind of out there in the wind, hoping inspiration comes to you, and you can win here and there, but you're not, you know, you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be a, a Jordan or a Kobe or a Tiger. You know, you just know you're not going to win consistently. Is that your goal to be a, a Kobe or a Jordan or a Tiger? I mean, you just want to be, you want to win, you want to create an authentic dynamic character that's constantly fully involved in every moment showing up in every scene um, from project to project and you know you're gonna lose uh, a championship for sure but in the aggregate um, you know you, you you create the sort of that's what happens when you create like a championship habit on and off the field you're you you just get to win a lot how do you view the future do you set goals for yourself do you um how, how much does that consume you mentally um very little you know because i think you know you just want to be the to be the best actor you can you have to be the best person yeah that you can and um i certainly have things that uh, i'm working on as a producer and that's that's exciting when st- but i also think that you know you seek out stories and stories seek out you and Things you might be really excited about, if you give them a little time and kind of kick them around a bit, they become less exciting, and other ones become more exciting, and um, they find their way to the kind of the, the top of your pile, and um, you push them through. But ultimately, um, you know, it's the op- you know it, it's the luck, opportunity, and preparation. They find themselves, and you can't you can't look back and be regretful, and you can't be so ambitious that you lose sight of what's really important. How do you – are there people in, in your life that, that keep you in check? I keep me in check. Well, yeah, I mean, just, you know, you got to – if you don't have the self-discipline um, or the self-awareness uh, that you, where you need somebody to keep you in check, I think there's you're – you're, you're already in trouble. But, you know, I have an amazing wife and amazing friends and, um, you know, amazing family, so – do you ever think about the Jonathan Tucker legacy? Uh, yes, I do. And I just want my kids to be proud of their father for the kind of man that he uh, he is and was. Well, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that they will be. And uh... and by the way, it's really simple to do that. You know, you live a life that's that's filled with honor, fairness, kindness and truth and courage. And, you know, you, that's all you got to do. And if everything goes through that kind of crucible then you know and you make the right choice and you don't take those shortcuts, then you know that you'll be able to fulfill that legacy. Beautiful. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, truly a, a pleasure to have you on my show. Dude, episode 68. Because you, you don't want to be 69. 
Episode 68. Make it 68. Yeah. We'll have the Barstool Girls on for... For 69. Maybe. Uh, for you. Or maybe, you know... I'll be at home with my I'll, wife. <laughs> or I'll bring... <laughs> yeah. Or I'll bring uh, Paul Tucker on for 69. I feel like you'd get a kick out of that. Uh, yeah. No comment on this one, but my, you should bring my father back. I think he, uh, he'd he be a good repeat offender on here. <laughs> Is that the term we want to use? Oh, yeah. The, uh, the professor. Well, no longer... Well, he's still, I guess, a professor. Now retired. You get him at a different point in his career, maybe. A lovely man. I uh, I can't wait to see him. And are your you, mom. Are you going to see them? I don't know. Well, I'm probably not going to see them on this trip. Uh, but, uh, you know, I actually watched the last Patriots Super Bowl win with them at their Super Bowl party in, uh, was it, 2019? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the last Patriots win was really just this year with Tom and Gronkowski in, in Tampa, I in see. Tampa Bay. Are you cheating on your Red Sox? I'm not because they're different leagues. And so. I, yeah. And when the World Series happened, I was rooting for the Sox, but I took no pleasure in uh, in the in the win. Really, I remember one of the last big stories that I had heard through my dad via your dad was how you, um, for legal purposes, got onto the field. I don't want to say snuck onto the field uh, during their, I believe it was two thousand seven win um, in Colorado. It was in Colorado. Yeah. You care to share how that happened? Um, not all the details, but I, you know, alcohol was definitely a part of the part of the courage that um, inspired me, and uh, a little acting, and I, you know, a little belonging. I belonged there. I belonged on <laughs> that did. field, and it was a legendary picture. Yeah, I'm holding the World Series trophy on the field in Colorado, wearing my Red Sox official Red Sox jacket. <laughs> Sucking down champagne with uh, Big Poppy, with with Big Poppy and and uh, and Tom Warner and uh, you know Henry and all the all the big players. It was a lot of fun. Veritech and got some great photos. Great photos. Call my dad. I'm like, look on TV. I'm on the. <laughs> he wasn't bases. there with you. He was not there with me. No, he was. They were all watching. All these people are freaking out, sending sending text messages of how excited they are that the Red Sox have won the World Series, and I was immediately able to text them back with a photo of me actually holding the trophy on the field at the game. It's a power move. It was a, a, a magical, magical night that I will never forget for for the rest of my life. Beautiful. Well, uh, absolute pleasure to uh, me, to bro. have you on my show, Levine. <laughs>